There are two experiences in life that will quickly strip away all of the extra things of life and of thought to get us to focus on the core elements of who we are and what's important in life. The first of which is being taken to jail. Now, thankfully, I've never experienced it personally, but it's common practice that if you are sent to jail, you don't take anything with you that you own into jail. You leave everything behind. Everything is jail-issued. Jail-issued clothes and then, of course, some toiletries, and that's pretty much it. The jail system will provide for the rest. One quickly realizes that you have to give up everything, and you are reminded of the bare necessities of life, of what you really need to survive, the rest being luxuries. While I don't wish any of you to go to jail just to have this experience, perhaps something similar is happening as we go through this enhanced community quarantine, otherwise known as the lockdown. You know, surprisingly, I've lost weight during the ECQ, and it's due to the fact that there's a curfew at 8 p.m., and no one really delivers food past 5 p.m. So all of my favorite evening snack places and milk tea places will no longer deliver food to me at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or midnight when I have the late-night munchies. You know, the first few days of the lockdown, I automatically opened up the Grab Food app, and it, to my surprise, showed that everything was closed. I would lament this situation to my wife, and she would tell me, honey, it's okay, you don't really need to eat at 11 o'clock at night. But if you're really hungry, you can have some healthy foods like fruits. I declined and just went to bed hungry. But now five weeks into our stay-at-home orders, I'm surprised that I no longer crave those late-night foods anymore. Perhaps my body has come to the realization that I can survive without the late-night snacks. The other experience in life that forces us to think about who we are and the core elements of what's important to us in life is dying. If you are on your deathbed, it makes it a lot easier to focus on what's important and what it isn't. It's often quickly clarified in your mind what you're living for in this life when you are on your deathbed and what is of great importance, what is the essentials and what isn't. To a lesser extent, this coronavirus pandemic has given us a taste of these two conditions or life experiences which has begun to expose certain things in life of who we are and what we think and how we act. It exposes what is important and what isn't important in your life, what you can live with and what you cannot live without. I want to direct our study this week to Psalm 116. Psalm 116 is a psalm of thanksgiving written by someone who was delivered from death. I love the psalms because it often reflects the truth of one's feelings in their hearts in crying out to the Lord without filters. And Psalm 116 is certainly a psalm where you can see the very heart of the person who writes it without filter. Now this psalmist is going through an experience, and through this experience it will expose five things in his life and about life. 
this coronavirus experience perhaps exposes these five things in your life and about life as well. So you and I need to take note of what these five exposed things are to correct areas in our life that need correction. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 116 as we take a look at verses 1 to 19 of this wonderful psalm. I begin in verses 1 to 3. This is what the psalmist writes. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplications, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him as long as I live. The psalmist begins with an expression of gratitude and love, a genuine gladness for what God has done in his life. He acknowledges that God has heard his pleas for help and has helped and rescued him. Therefore, he resolves with his life to worship God for the rest of his life. Now, the reason for this gratitude, look at verse 3. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me, I found trouble and sorrow. You know, this person apparently was in a very bad place. His life was in great peril. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically what's happening to him. Perhaps he was very sick on his deathbed. Perhaps he was in a situation where there was no way to escape an enemy. Perhaps he was in a bind in life and he felt that death was inevitable. The last part of the verse tells us in verse 3 that he was really in trouble and he was very sad. He was distressed. There was sorrow in his heart. There was a feeling of inevitability that he was going to die. All was lost. And so he calls out to the Lord. Look at verses 4 to 6 with me. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and He saved me. The psalmist tells us that he calls upon the name of the Lord in a time of desperation and calls out to the Lord for salvation. Save me, Lord, from this very difficult and dangerous situation he is in. And God in His grace and mercy listened to his prayer. Now in verse 6, this man acknowledges that the Lord helps preserve the simple. The simple is in reference to Kim. He is thanking God for even looking out for the life of someone who is simple, preserving his life. Now the word simple means young, inexperience. The emphasis perhaps is that because of his youth, because of his inexperience, that he did something foolish. That's kind of the implication of what he's trying to say here. Because of the stupidity of my actions, perhaps as a young person, the reason he is experiencing what he's experiencing is because he wasn't very discerning. And because of his lack of discernment, The Bible tells us in verse 6, he was brought low. Now he is facing death because he wasn't more discerning. But God was gracious. God was merciful and still saved him. Now God didn't have to do it. God could have allowed this man to reap the consequences of his actions. 
But God's grace and mercy was upon this very undeserving person as he so acknowledges. You know, when one is dying, or when one is at a moment of crisis, when all has been stripped away, when you are left with nothing, it becomes very clear in your mind whether you were discerning or not. Remember the younger son and the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son? That young man came to his senses when he was in a pig pen thinking, I ate so much better than these pigs. One's mind becomes very clear when you are in a moment of crisis whether you have been very discerning or not. So it is in this case, when this man, for whatever reason, is in this very difficult situation, that he says, I was a simple man. Perhaps the stupidity of my youth has brought me to this very point in life where I am desperate. And God didn't have to help me, but He did. And He was gracious and merciful. So it is when we are put into a similar situation where the news of death surrounds us all and everything has been stripped away in a sense that we are confined to our homes. It, number one, exposes discernment. Exposes discernment. Sadly, this coronavirus epidemic and pandemic has shown that a lot of people have not been very discerning. They do not exercise good judgment. And the Bible tells us we are always to be discerning in our Christian faith, to always check the Scriptures. A few days ago, I was reading about a pastor in the state of Virginia who died recently from coronavirus. And what made me take note of this article is that he had said that God is larger than COVID-19 and therefore he would not close his church for mass gatherings. While sad to hear about his passing, and we never want to speak ill of those who have passed, it also shows that he wasn't very discerning, because our faith is not devoid of facts. Our faith in God doesn't make us immune from coronavirus. It doesn't say it anywhere in the Bible that a faith in God means you will not get coronavirus. Discernment is needed in times like this. Just because you somehow declare or command in Jesus' name that you will be protected from the virus, you will not. That's nowhere taught in the Scriptures. You are protected when you stay home and keep to social distancing under God's protection. My friends, we must use discernment. I've seen many Christians literally quote-unquote, check out. They don't use their brains in times like this. They're often caught up in the paranoia and hype, and so they share fake news. They blindly forward what has been passed to them. They don't even read what they are passing. They don't even fact-check or confirm. Even if it seems doubtful, they simply pass it on as if they're doing the community a great service, which they are not. Where is the discernment in this? My friends, if you send fake news out, it is a lie. If you propagate lies, then the Bible says it is a sin. 
It is a reflection on us as Christians to an unbelieving world because they may wonder, why do we not try to substantiate it as truth versus simply propagating lies? Why is this important? Why am I making a point in this? It's because if the unbelieving world thinks that we as Christians do not discern between right and wrong, then you will find it very difficult to tell them about the truth of Jesus Christ, which you say is true. But in their minds, they say, well, maybe not, because you are not very discerning in the first place. You send out truth and lies. How do I know that what you say about Jesus is truth? I hope you understand. I hope you get my point. For example, if you get a text that Pastor Stephen has COVID-19 and has died, do you immediately send out that message to 500 of your closest friends? Of course not. I hope you will first ask my wife if that message is true or not, or message someone at the church, or perhaps message me to make sure that the news isn't fake news. That's called discernment. I hope you will practice that in times like this. In these times of distress and desperation, our discernment level is exposed. So use the brain that God has given you. Discern and discern wisely. The man in the psalm acknowledges that he was foolish. He lacked discernment and judgment. Do not be like him. Do not buy into conspiracy theories about things like, for example, the mark of the beast being present now, or Bill Gates, this or that, or that you get overly paranoid about chip being implanted into you. We are not in the great tribulation, so these things do not make an appearance and do not apply. Remember, my friends, YouTube videos make money for the person who posts them based on the number of views they get. So a lot of people on YouTube make videos that are sensational, that make outlandish claims so that you will watch it and so that they can make money from it. Be discerning. Times like these expose our discernment level. Look at verses 7 to 11 with me, and I read from verses 7 to 9. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. The psalmist continues and says, He can be at peace because God is trustworthy. He found in God someone whom he could trust. Why? Because the Bible says, He has saved me from death. He has wiped away my tears. He has protected me from stumbling. He has helped me. This is the God that I will trust. Look what he writes in verses 10 and 11. I believe, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. It was in this situation when this man in deep danger and in distress was able to clearly see that the only person he could trust was God. That's why he said, I believed. 
and I told God that I had this great affliction. I am in deep trouble. I had no filters when I came and talked to Him because I trust you, God. And if I trust you, I'm going to tell you everything. And I'm hurting now, and I'm dying, and I need you to help me. Apparently, there were people around him while he was going through this very difficult situation saying that he had no hope. Sorry, man, there's no way out of your situation. That's what he mentioned in, in, in verse 11. And they were even telling him, even if God is involved, there is no hope. And when he saw that God was helping him, this man said of those people, you are all liars. You're all lying, he declares. Because in the Lord there is hope. God indeed can, will, and does help him in this very impossible situation. And that's why he says, I can rest. Because there is hope. And God has proved himself to be trustworthy in someone that he can place his trust in and in someone we can place our trust in. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, quotes verse 10 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, to affirm that Jesus died and rose again. And if we believe in him, then we too, when we die, will be raised again. Our faith can be put in God. God is trustworthy. Now, the foundation of our faith is in the person of God and what He can do. And God proved all of these naysayers wrong. And that's why this man says they are liars when they told him the impossibility could not be done, even by God, because of the situation and the desperate circumstances of this man. You see, in times of crisis, when all has been stripped away, it exposes a second thing. It exposes lies. Number two, exposes lies. It exposes the liars and their lies. Sadly, in times like this, when the world is desperate, there are people who prey on other people. There are people who take advantage of others. In fact, people will often use scriptures and twist it to prove their point. They position themselves as prophets, saying that they were able to predict this viral pandemic years back and that we should give money to them and trust them because they are modern-day prophets. Now, they're really prophets and were able to predict this virus. Why didn't they warn us six months ago? These men and women are frauds. There are no modern-day prophets. No one predicted this pandemic. If they did, they certainly should have warned us. They didn't know. They just got very lucky in making very general guesses. My friends, be wise to liars and deceivers. They lurk all around, and this pandemic has exposed many of them. There's a very famous feng shui expert who supposedly predicted that 2020 would be a great and prosperous year. Many would be blessed this 2020, he said. In fact, his face was plastered all over social media at the beginning of the year and even on the billboards of the main highway, Edsa. Where is he now? Where is he now defending his proclamation that 2020 would be a prosperous year? Apparently, he's gone into hiding. 
he has been revealed to be a fraud, just like all the other feng shui experts. What about the so-called faith healers who say that God has given them a special gift where they can heal others just by touching them or praying over them? Who are these faith healers today? And why aren't they working every day in the COVID-19 units of all the hospitals around the Philippines and around the world making people well again? This pandemic has exposed these faith healers as frauds. This experience shows us that there are a lot of liars out there. This pandemic has exposed false teachers, false prophets, and frauds. My friends, be aware and wake up. Don't allow these people to fool you again when all of this is over by making up perhaps some lame excuse why they disappeared or they misspoke. God has exposed them as liars. Don't fall into their traps. Likewise, for you and me, this pandemic exposes whether that which we teach and that which we talk about is true or not. Be careful what you propagate in terms of your Christian faith. Make sure it is grounded in the Word of God so that you will not also be exposed as a fraud, someone who lies about the Christian faith. Look with me at verses 12 to 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all His people. The psalmist continues by asking the question, What shall I offer to the Lord for all that He has done for me? And his answer is, I will offer up a cup, an offering of thanks. I will continue to praise the Lord. In fact, he says, I will keep His promises to the Lord before the people. And what were His promises? Well, you go back to verse 1 and 2. I will walk in His ways. I will offer my life back to the Lord. I will live out the promises I made to the Lord in front of the people in accountability. These are the things I will do in thanksgiving for what God has done in my life. These are the things He now values. His life has been saved by God. And now His values come out strong. You know, in times of trials like this, when all has been stripped away, it exposes something. It exposes number three, our values. Exposes values. When everything has been taken away from us, when we are on our deathbed, it shows what we really value in life. It's always the case. When the Lord does something miraculous in our life or when He saves us, we feel at that moment we owe Him everything, even our very lives. We even say we'll live for Him forever until we forget to do so, until we forget what God does or has done in our life. When we are reminded in times of crises like this that God is the one who protects us and saves us, Shouldn't our values be aligned with what He desires for us? 
shouldn't our lives be lived for Him? It often takes a time of crisis and a time of difficulty that we go through to see if we really value something as important or not. Or it really sharpens in view for ourselves and for others what we really value. In this coronavirus pandemic, it shows what we value. If you still value things of this world, such as getting a massage or a haircut, when there are people today who are unable to eat and people are dying, then really exposes your temporal values, your focus on worldly things. I am also not immune from this. You know, usually before this lockdown, I get a haircut every three weeks. I'm a person, I believe, of discipline, and therefore on my calendar, every three weeks it says there, get a haircut. Of course, we're now in week five, and I haven't gotten a haircut. And I know it's silly, but when that three-week mark came, one of my biggest worries was, how can I get a haircut? Of course, I don't trust my wife enough to cut my hair. But how can I get a haircut? Imagine, that was my, one of my biggest worries. How can I make sure that my hair was presentable? Imagine I even texted my barber if he would be willing to come to my house to give me a haircut. Of course, he isn't able to leave his own home because of quarantine, but I even offered to pay him double if he would come and cut my hair. But then I caught myself. This is crazy. Why do I care more about a haircut than that of the health safety of my barber? There are really bigger issues to worry about. Getting a haircut is not one of them. It's a minor issue. You see how in times of crises, the values that we place on certain things really come out, sometimes in good ways, sometimes in bad and ugly ways. Now, how about as it relates to your spiritual life, as it relates to your church life, in community. As I mentioned before, if you can't find time for the Lord with all the time that God has given you, then it is a matter of your values. Do you value time with God? Do you value intimacy with Him? Time and the busyness of your schedule is no longer an excuse. Our values are exposed and it shows the realities of our faith it shows whether we desire to be with Him or not. Now, when we have to do church virtually or online, are you still doing it? When there are no more programs of the church to sustain your faith, to draw you to church, are you still able to worship? There is no more place to come to. There is no more setting aside a time where you can come and just simply watch the pastor perform for you live or the musicians of the church to sing for you. There's no one else to teach your children how to pray and tell them Bible stories. It's on you. Will you do it? This man's worship and dedication of his life for the Lord is not because he goes to a mega church or perhaps because of the amazing music at the church. 
or perhaps because he gets some benefit out of going before the house of the Lord. Notice that his sense of worship comes from the fact that he values offering to the Lord in worship what he deserves because of who God is and what he wants. The very core of worship is now in the heart of this man, and he learns to value it. Your values, my friends, will be exposed in times like this. What does it look like? And what are you going to do about your values if they are in a wrong place? Think about these things. Now take a look at verses 15 to 17. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Now notice first in verse 15, the psalmist makes a theological statement. This is a verse that has blessed and comforted countless people who have lost loved ones who are followers of Christ. It is an important true theological statement of how God views children of His who have died. He deeply cares for them. They are precious in His sight. The psalmist is revealing the heart of God that even those whom He allows to pass away, it doesn't mean He loves them any less versus those who He allows to live. He loves them just the same. But in His sovereign will, He just calls them home earlier. But for this person, even though this is true for him, a part of his theology that even if he died, God loves him deeply, God chose to spare him. And that's why he sees himself, verse 16, as a servant that has been spared and shown grace by the master. You see, the master has control and can decide to spare him or not. And it's chosen, in verse 17, he writes, to free him from his chain. And that's why the psalmist is thankful. This man is sharing with us, the readers, his theology. This man recognizes that God is in total control. Whether living or dying, it would have been okay, since God loves the person just the same. Whatever he decides to choose to happen. Yet, the psalmist is glad that God has chosen for him, at that moment, life. To give him life, even though he was at the point of death. You see, when we go through a time of crisis, when everything is stripped away, when we are thinking about our mortality, it does something else. It exposes something else, number four. It exposes theology. It exposes our theology. Theology is basically what we believe about God. You know, everyone has a theology whether we want to admit it or not. Everyone has a thought about God. That is our theology. When we encounter a crisis like this, it exposes what we believe about God. You know, for many today, they're still wondering why God perhaps is punishing them or the world through this pandemic. Others are wondering why a good God would allow such evil in this world. Still others wonder why God doesn't just simply step in 
to stop all of what's going on in this world. Of course, we need to search the Scriptures to know how God has revealed Himself to be able to adequately answer those questions and many more. They are all good theological questions. We will not tackle them in this message. But through a crisis like this, I just want to note that our theology is exposed. How we view God. Is He a good God? Is He a gracious God? Is He a terrible God? Is He a loving God? And theology is important because what you believe about God will drive your values and your actions. For this psalmist, his realization is that God loves those who He allows to die. And those who He allows to live, He loves just as equally. And this man doesn't get a say in what God decides, but God has chosen life for him and has deepened his own theological understanding of who God is, recognizing God's sovereignty and God's grace and God's love. And therefore, he gives praise and tells God in response to his theology that he will give his life in the service of the Lord. This man's theological understanding of God is the same as that of Job. Remember Job? As he was suffering all of these great afflictions in his life, he lost family members, he lost everything. And this is what he announces in Job chapter 1, verse 21. And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all things, blessed be the name of the Lord. This man's theology was deepened to a point where even if he had died, he would be precious in God's sight. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And if he were to live, and he does, he proclaims, blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I ask you, my friends, what is your theology? What is your view of God in this crisis How does it line up with what the Bible says? And how does it affect your actions? These are very important questions you need answers to that you need to have settled in your heart. Who is God to you? Look at verses 18 to 19 with me. I will pay my vow to the Lord now in the presence of all His people. In the courts of the Lord's house, In the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The psalmist closes this psalm by saying, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord before all the people. I will live out my life in such the way that I don't care what people think, but I will live it consistently as God desires for me to live it. I will do it in front of all people. I do it in the courts of the Lord's house in reference to the Jewish temple. I will do it in all of Jerusalem, I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Now, what's significant about all of this? The significance is that this person has no longer any insecurities or self-doubt as it relates to his relationship with the Lord. He will let everyone know about who is Lord over his life. You see, in times like this, when we are in death's clutches, but we are saved from it, when all has been stripped away, at the end of the day, it exposes 
our insecurities. Number five, exposes insecurities. My friends, are you more confident or less confident about your faith and your faith walk during these times? Are you secure or insecure about your faith? One of the things I've loved hearing about that has been a wonderful byproduct of having the worship at home is that families now come together and worship when they have not done so. Her fathers take the lead in leading their families in a time of prayer and in a time of worship. They got over their fears of never having done it before or perhaps always deferring to the pastor to lead the worship. But now, without a choice, they're doing it. Or stories of children from our congregation who now take turn in their family worship times to pray out loud as they have gotten over their own insecurities and fears of praying publicly. If you're not doing these things, the question is, why not? Are you still insecure about your faith walk with Jesus? Does it really matter what people think about you as you express your Christian faith? Will you sing your hearts aloud Sing out songs of praise to our Lord with the same gusto and the same energy as you would sing out a secular song on a karaoke machine. Can you do it in your homes just like you would do it if you were gathered here? You see, all of how we act speak of our insecurities in times like this. Are you able to overcome your insecurities and express the Lord in worship praise and thanksgiving for what He has done, and He now continues to protect you, forgetting about what other people think and only caring about what He thinks. You know, my friends, even pastors and Christian leaders have insecurities which are heightened and highlighted during these times. I've talked to many of pastors as they, they've called me, and they worry in their smaller congregations what will happen if their people watch other pastors' video? What if they see that there are amazing communicators and preachers all around Manila or in other parts of the world like America? What if after listening to them, they will no longer want to hear the sermons that they preach? What if after the lockdown, they choose to go to the church of the pastor they so enjoy listening to what if the production level that they are offering to their church congregation isn't as beautiful and as professional as some other churches? What about those situations where when they take a video, it looks like they're a hostage in a ransom video versus someone else with slick production? What if the music isn't so great? There's no live band or live orchestra as some churches do, and some churches have to resort to YouTube videos. I've talked to a few pastors about this feeling, and I try to encourage them as I also go through the same struggles. It really shouldn't matter. You just go out and preach a prayerful message from God's Word. And it doesn't matter who watches it or not, because God watches all of it. And to Him, it's not about the technical expression 
and execution of online virtual worship. It's about the heart. You see, my friends, at the end of the day, it's always been about the heart. Confidence and insecurities are a matter of the heart. It doesn't matter if a parent is thinking up arts and crafts projects every day for their kids and posting it on social media and you see it and you feel inadequate as a parent. It's about your heart to take care of your own children, not to compare your life with that of another parent. It doesn't matter if some people are turning into master chefs during this lockdown and they are posting beautiful pictures of every meal that they eat while you are eating instant noodles every day. It's a heart issue that you are providing for your family. It doesn't matter if three children of yours are simply playing video games all day while other children are three months ahead in their studies. You see, at the end of the day, it's about the heart. It's about the heart. Crisis times like this expose our insecurities. What are the insecurities you have? And how are they wrong in view of what God has done and how much He loves you? Are you turning these insecurities into confidence with God? Does your heart say, praise the Lord all the time? Can you get over the fact that people laugh at you or will question why you are having devotions or leading worship when you're not a pastor? But you can simply tell them, I'm leading worship or I'm worshiping because this is who my God is and this is what He has done. Times of crisis like this expose our discernments, our buy-in to lies, our values, our theology, and our insecurities. At the very root level, who are you? And are you measuring up to how the Scriptures say you should measure up? We are all being exposed during this time of quarantine to who we truly are and what we truly believe. I hope that you will spend time in self-examination. And if there are areas in your life that do not align with Scripture, then I hope you will align it and correct your hearts and your life and your attitudes so that it is consistent with what God says in the Bible in how you are to live. Remember, God loves you with an everlasting love. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place and in my place so that we don't have to experience eternal death. Whether we live or we die, may we bless the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this psalm. In times like this, times of crisis and of desperation and of distress, it exposes many things in our lives. I hope that it exposes whether we are discerning or not. And if we're not, help us to be discerning against the words of Scripture. Help us to be able to fact check, to make sure that we do not get caught up into the lies that are being propagated today. Help us to see that the values of our life are consistent with the Scriptures, 
that that which we value is first and foremost the things that are spiritual. I pray that we will have a right theology. I pray that our view of you and our love for you is correct. I pray that we would dig deeper into the Scriptures to see how you reveal yourself so that through the revelation of who you are, we will have a better understanding to live our lives in such a way holy and pleasing. And I pray that you would rid our hearts of insecurities, of caring what other people think, that we will only care for what you think, being confident that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the very end. Thank you for journeying with us during this time. Thank you for exposing our lives for what it is so that we in self-examination, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can correct our life in such a way that it is lived holy and pleasing in worship before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.